right, you can be turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. Go to the end of the chapter, Genesis chapter 24. Next week, by the way, will be the final uh, Sunday of uh, our series on the King James Bible. And after that, people will be going back to their regular Sunday school classes. And we'll begin a new study on victory over sin and be looking at a lot of scripture on those things. I hope you got this. I hope you uh, young people got it. I hope uh, you singles got it, that you not be swayed. I mean, after all, uh, just looking at the background of the people behind all these different translations ought to be a real red flag to you that uh, these are not people to be trusted with the Word of God. I mean, if you don't get that out of that, you've missed the whole thing. And you're going to trust somebody with things as special as that. You know, we're finding out, we were told, for instance, with COVID, that we were to trust the scientists. Only find out that a whole lot of people are dying today because they did exactly that. Because it wasn't science, it was politics. Just because they say it's science. Well, you got these so-called scholars. They're only scholars in their own mind. Not really Bible scholar. Bible scholar begins with a respect for thus saith the Lord, the very words of God. If he's not that, he's not a Bible scholar. Isn't that right? But this has been an excellent series of lessons. I really appreciate all the work. I mean, all the work that Brother Snyder's put into this stuff. And uh, I trust you've gotten a lot of good things. And the good thing about it is, since we've got it on our uh, YouTube channel, that you can go to it any time and refresh yourself. I mean, you can go through those things and get them down. Listen, get them down, because you will be challenged. Very important. Well, we talked about a family earlier today. We looked at the family of, of uh, Joshua. I'll, I want to look at Isaac and Rebecca tonight. It made this kind of a family Sunday. So we can learn some things that will be a help to our homes. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, tells us twice that these things that were recorded were recorded for our admonition. You know, a lot of other things God could have put in the Bible, a lot of other incidents that he could have put. The ones he put in there, he put in there with a purpose. We learn that, for instance, in the book of John, when the scripture says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you might have life through his name. I mean, let's face it, if God had recorded every incident that took place from 4,000 B.C. through uh, uh, up to the time of Christ, you wouldn't be, there's no book you could pick up. He picked out the things that we needed. He picked them out on purpose. And the scripture says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And when we talk about Isaac and Rebekah, there's one thing I want you to understand as we cover Isaac and Rebekah. They didn't have a Bible. It's easy for me to pick out things in Isaac and Rebekah's life that should not have been there. Things that hindered them. Because God recorded certain things. But I can't get after them and say you should have known better if you'd have just read your Bible. They didn't have one to read. But we do. We're without excuse. We've got a Bible that gives us everything that we need. To help us in our lives. And it is the eternal word of the living God without error in any part of it. I'm glad I've got an infallible word for word book. 
Well, in chapter 24 of the book of Genesis, Eliezer, the servant of uh, Abraham, has been uh, sent out to find a wife for Isaac. And then uh, that takes place in the first part of chapter 24. We get to verse 61, and by this time he's found Rebekah. He is bringing her back to Isaac. So I want you to notice in verse 61 of chapter 24, And Rebekah arose, and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and followed the man, and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well Hiroi, for he dwelt in the south country, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. <laughs> I'm sorry. She was excited to see him, wasn't she? That's the way it ought to be. You know, in the scripture, <laughs> when the scripture says that the wife is to reverence her husband, it ought to be that way every time. When the wife sees her husband, it ought to be, oh, he's home. And not, oh, he's home again. <laughs> I'm sorry, just got me tickled there for a minute. For her, uh, she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah. And she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. She had died about three years uh, before this particular scene took place. Let's pray. Father, I pray you give us some things from the word of God that will help us as we seek to guide our homes. And the Lord, for those whose children have already gone, grown up and they're out with their own homes... May we get the things we need to get so we can give proper biblical counseling that will help. God, teach us, we pray. And if there's any here without Jesus, may they see their need for the Son of God and turn to Christ tonight and be saved. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, right away in the story, one of the things that we learn, of course, this is just kind of a side note to begin with, but God is not in a hurry. Several years passed before God gave Abram and, uh, and Sarah uh, their son, Isaac. Several years passed. And then after he's born, it's another 40 years before Isaac gets hooked up with Rebekah. And then it's another 20 years before they have their two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now think about that. It, they're 100 years old, or at least uh, Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 when they have Isaac. They'd had the promise for a long time about a son. And then Isaac comes along. He's 40 years old before he gets his wife, Rebecca, And then another 20 years before they have their children. God's not in a hurry. We're always in a hurry. We want everything right now. I believe Americans want a microwave religion. They want God to just zap us and do everything that he's going to do because we don't like the adventure. These people had an adventure. But um, here's a statement I want you to get. 
No family is a perfect family. Because everybody in every family has this flesh on them. No family is a perfect family. These families recorded in Scripture were able to, that we're able to scrutinize because of key events in their life that God shared with us. But you understand that most of their days, every day was just the next day and the next day and the next day. I think one of the things that has ruined us as Americans, not just the 24-hour news channels, but even when it comes to sports, we can't sit down and watch a baseball game anymore all the way through because all we want are the home runs and the stolen bases and the exciting plays. We don't want regular baseball. It's become boring to us. won't be long. It'll be that way about football completely, almost as that way now because really only a few plays out of the entire game really matter as far as the game's concerned. We can't appreciate the day-to-day stuff in our lives. Most of our lives are not really exciting, but that's okay. Where do you find it's supposed to be exciting? Think about Abraham. He's 100 years old before he has Isaac. He's going to live another 75 years, and most of his life is not recorded for us at all. We have the special times that are recorded for us, but most of it's just not that way. It's kind of mentioned baseball. Baseball, you know, is 162 games a year. At least I think it's still that. And uh, an everyday player may go to the plate to bat 600 times in an entire season. Now, he goes to bat 600 times. If he's an average to good player, he might get 150 hits to 200 hits. Some might get a few more, but very few. And Now, that's a lot of times at the plate. Do you know how many swing and misses that is? You know how many pitches have to be thrown for him to go through 600 at-bats? And the truth is, he doesn't just get to go up and bat for that. He's got to bat before every game. He's got to take batting practice. He has to have uh, spring training where he's in there a couple months early. So he can take a lot more batting practice and just swing at pitches. And most of those things are never recorded. Don't know anything about them. As a matter of fact, when we talk about a great player... We look at it, not just his stats, but all right, what has he done? What has he accomplished? If he hit some home runs in the right time, uh, let me give you a name. Most of you won't know the name. Bill Mazarowski. Bill Mazarowski was the second baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was okay. He was a major leaguer. He didn't have a real high batting average, anything like that. But in the 19, I believe it was the 1959 World Series, Bill Mazarowski, not known for power, hit a home run that won the game. And suddenly, everybody back then knew this man's name, especially if you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, of which I wasn't, but nevertheless, I still knew his name because I cared about baseball. Some of you know the name Joe Namath, not just because he was an Alabama quarterback. Joe Namath was the quarterback for the New York Jets, not, it was pro football, but it was a, a I'm trying to think of the, what I can call it. It was a league that was nothing like the NFL. They were, just weren't that good. In the three or four Super Bowls that had taken place before the big one between the New York Jets and the uh, uh, Baltimore Colts, uh, the NFL had just really walked all over the AFL. There was even talk that there wouldn't be another Super Bowl after this one because the AFL was just an inferior league. 
Joe Namath, in the year that they went to the Super Bowl, I think it was Super Bowl number five, might have been Super Bowl number four, but he only completed 49% of his passes for the year. That's subpar. That's not very good. 49%. And as a matter of fact, he was known for throwing a lot of interceptions. He just wasn't that good of a quarterback. But he was flashy. He lived in New York. And he predicted that they would win and beat the real powerhouse Baltimore Colts. Now, some people think it was thrown. I don't know. It doesn't make much difference. But the very fact that he was the quarterback that won that game and kept the Super Bowls going, that game, probably his best game as a pro, practically everybody knows his name. One game out of all the games that he played made him famous, well-known to any football historian. Now, think about it for a moment. If God were to pick things out of your life to record, what do you think he'd record? What would the Lord record about your life? He doesn't tell us everything that took place between Rebecca and Isaac. He doesn't tell us that. But he does record some things that are very important for us that are there to help us. Now, some of those things are good things, but some of those things are not so good. If God was to record some things out of your life, what would he record, do you think? Because I got news for you. Whereas you're not in the scripture, so to speak, there are people that do record things that you've done, things that you've said, things that you say, and the things you have done have impacted other people's lives. We come to Isaac and Rebecca. We're going to see some great traits. And we're also going to see some blunders. We're going to get an idea of what those blunders cost them in their family. And the cost were in the lives of their children as well. Now, one thing we know about Isaac and Rebecca, we know that they were saved people. They come from the family that worshiped God. We got that according to Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus said I'm not a, that God's not a God of the dead, but he's a God of the living. He goes back and he quotes from the Old Testament where God said, I am the God, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. God was still their God, even though they'd been dead for a long time. And so we know that Isaac definitely was a saved man. This would have been a Christian home. And according to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 20, he was a man of faith. He had exhibited faith that God honors in Hebrews chapter 20. Now, unfortunately, although he shared the God of his father, he did not really follow God as fervently as what his father Abraham did. And remember, he had no written scripture. But God recorded some things about him to have an impact on us. In verses 61 through 67, we see their beginning. Uh, A servant was sent out. Matter of fact, the chief servant of Abraham was sent out to go to a particular place to see the particular family uh, and there to find a wife for his son, Isaac. Now, we find Isaac. When Eliezer, the servant, and Rebekah come back, we find, we find Isaac out in the field meditating. I believe he was praying, and he had a right to pray. He had a reason to pray. This is not a situation, by the way, where the father picked the wife. 
Abraham did not pick the wife. Eliezer picked the wife. Now, I can only imagine that while Eliezer was gone looking for a wife, that Isaac might have thought from time to time, boy, I hope I didn't say anything to upset Eliezer. Because I don't know what he's bringing back. I don't know how fervent he'll be in his job. Abraham trusted his servant to get the right girl. And Eliezer, who was very faithful to Abraham, followed Abraham's instructions to the letter to get her back. So, but we got a man here who evidently had been taught by Abraham to spend time with God. What he was praying about, we don't really know, but this was so serious. Why would he put so much trust in his father's judgment? Wait, not his father, but a servant of his father. Here was a man who knew something about honoring his parents and being obedient to his father. I mean, the boy's 60, or 40 years old at this time. Well, I can get my own girl. No, that's not, that's not Isaac. He's following the instruction of his father in this matter. Now, perhaps because he had seen the folly of going your own way in the life of Lot. You remember Lot, when they got back from Egypt, Abraham and Lot got back from Egypt, he turned his tent towards Sodom. He was going his own way. He chose what was important to him. But he decided to trust his godly father's godly servant. Not only do we see meditation of time with God, but honoring his father. His father's wish was his law and his love. He's 40 years old. Who you marry is who you're stuck with. I want you to get this. What God had joined together, let not man put asunder. You say, well, I, I can get rid of that guy. Still your husband. I can get rid of that gal. Still your wife. But God had joined together. Let not man put asunder. This is tough. This is a serious matter, man. People jump into marriage and jump out of marriage just as quick because they have no appreciation for what God created. And because Christians have treated marriage so shabbily, we've got a world that thinks two men can be married together and one of them be a husband and the other be a wife or two women can be married together and one be a husband and one be a wife and it's absolute wicked nonsense. But you see, they're following the lead of the church which hasn't treated marriage with the respect that God means for it to be treated with. That's why I don't marry anybody without giving them about four uh, premarital counseling sessions and I give them work to do. I mean homework to do. I'm just not going to marry anybody if they're not ready. And I have had people I've refused to marry because they weren't ready. They didn't understand it. They didn't have a clue what they were getting into. They need to know what their responsibilities are. Now, after I go through that and give them the truth that they decide to go their own way, uh, that's up to them. But I do know this, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We see their beginning, though, his time of prayer and the honoring of his father. So that's good. Things are starting out right. And then we see their babies over in chapter 25 and verse 21. You'll notice the scripture says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. The Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, 
And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So just like we had a time of prayer before they came together, we find here's more prayer about this matter of having a child. They prayed. Now, today you've got people praying not to have children. But that's not the way it was in Bible times. You remember Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She was praying for a child and told the Lord, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And that's exactly what happened, just like she said. And she honored the Lord by giving them Samuel, Zacharias, and Elizabeth. Here they were old. They were well stricken in years, the scripture says. And when the angel appears to Zechariah in the holy place, the angel says to him, Zacharias, your prayer is heard. Now, to me, that's an amazing statement because it made me wonder, is he still praying for a child? I mean, she was well stricken in years. There was no way that they were going to have a child together. It would appear, but God heard their prayers. Or maybe, I wonder, it could have been this way. They had prayed for a child for a long time, finally given up on it, and the angel appears and says, God heard your prayers. I don't know. I don't know if they were still praying for a child, but God gave them what they'd been praying for. You know, really... Uh, you young couples get this you need to pray for your children long before you're having children the fruit of the womb is his reward and we have a responsibility to give them the right direction prayer needs to begin long before birth Oh, to be brought up in a house of prayer. Now, there's some people here. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, but some of you were. And you remember hearing mom and dad pray for you as a young child. That can mean so much. I don't have that memory. My mom and dad didn't pray for me. I don't find fault with them about that. They weren't saved. I wouldn't have expected them to pray for me. That would have been a shock. But for those of you who had a mom and dad that prayed for you and you got to hear them, those are some of the most precious memories you'll have your entire life. A mom and daddy praying for you. Then you've got promises. In chapter 25 and verse 23, he gave the promise. We read that already. This was going to be twins. That was going to take place. Look over in chapter 26, beginning in verse 2. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I'll be with thee and will bless thee. Um, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and will give unto thy seed all these countries and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now you understand his promise was the promise of Abraham. And if we go and read the book of Galatians, remember we just went through that not too long ago, that the word seed, singular right there, is important. Not talking about all the children that he would have, but the seed of Jesus Christ is where all the nations would be blessed. We covered that in the book of Galatians. We'll not take time to go through all that again tonight. But there are great promises. This is he could claim promises for his children. We can claim promises from God and the word of God for our children. Promises that set boundaries for them. First of all, every Christian parent ought to want to see their children saved. 
that ought to be your number one main goal, that they get born again. What a horrible thought to have a child die and go to hell. Now, that's not just a matter of praying for their salvation, but a matter of teaching them and instructing them. The reality is they ought to get everything they need within the home to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're counting on the church to do it, they're going to see some bad examples as well as good examples. They need to see a great example in their mom and dad. Dad, you ought to be the godliest example that your kids could point up. To them, you ought to be the most godly person they know. I didn't say the most religious person they know. I said the most godly person that they know. And mama, you ought to be the most godly woman that your children knows. That's up to you to be that. They see you. They see you in the home. I mean, everybody else sees you in the church. Think about our children. They see us at home and they also see us in the church. They see whether or not we're the same person at home that we are at church. It's one thing to be a certain way around church people. I mean, let's face it. For the most part, I get to see people on their best behavior. The police don't. But I get to see them on their best behavior. Most people, at least in the church, don't want to show certain things. And that's all right. I ought to see the, the best that they could do. I would pray that God would bring... For our children, I would pray that God would bring across their path some godly ladies. Since we only had daughters, um, one of our prayers was always that God would send some godly women in the church. I'm talking about godly women. I'm talking about women that read their Bible. I'm talking about women that prayed and were concerned about others. I'm talking about women who weren't gossips. I'm talking about women that if I know if my daughter is with them, they're going to be encouraged to be godly themselves. I always felt it was good for my daughters to have an extra layer of protection. And that extra layer of protection was the fact that when they thought about doing wrong, they wouldn't want to disappoint those godly women that have been very special to them in the church. You see, sometimes children do get rather upset with their parents. And although we want to hope that they wouldn't want to disappoint us, giving them somebody else they don't want to disappoint as well can be the very thing that keeps them from getting into sin. So we prayed for that. We prayed for God to bring some godly women to take an interest in our daughters, godly women. Uh, Let me just say that again. I want you to understand this. Godly women, not just anybody, godly women that they can look up to and say, I want to be a Christian like that. That is a real Christian. That would really help them in their walk. So we see the beginning for Isaac and Rebekah. We see their babies, but then we see their blunders. If you look in chapter 25 and verse 28, Scripture says, And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Underline that verse in your Bible, and you might write out beside it, problem or danger. Danger. They're playing favorites. Why why does Isaac love Esau the most? He's a hunter. He's a man's man. He's a tough guy. And besides that, he can make a mean venison steak. That's why I love him. Now, really, isn't that kind of shallow? 
I mean, really, that's shallow. I got better reason than that to love my children. I mean, yeah, I really love, boy, I love Carrie because she can make a mean cupcake. I mean, buddy. Well, that's why I said it. But that's not the reason I love her. There are a lot of people who can make mean cupcakes. But I love her because she's my daughter. I mean, isn't it enough? Shouldn't it be enough for, es- or for uh, Isaac to love Esau because he's his son? And to love Jacob because he's his son as well? They both should have been very, very important to him. And they should have known it. But the reason this statement is down here, I believe, to make it very plain to us, we got a couple of parents here playing favorites with the kids. And they end up playing one child against the other child. Rebecca ends up looking to try to further Jacob, even when he's wrong. And Esau is trying to sneak something in against Jacob and simply exalt our Isaac's trying to do that with Esau to try to advance him when he had no business advancing him. So they see they created problems. And what's really sad about this, evidently Jacob never learned the lesson because here Jacob ends up with a brother that wants to put him to death. And then when Jacob has 12 children, actually 13 counting Dinah, the girl, but Jacob plays favorite with Joseph. And that created problems for Joseph. You start playing favorites with your kids and you're just making problems for your children. Remember, there were a couple of comedians back in the 1960s and 70s called the Smothers Brothers. And their whole thing of their comedy routine was mom liked you best. People laugh. They said, man, isn't that funny? Well, yeah, they did it funny, but I can tell you what, when that's the case, it's never funny. It is just simply headed for problems. Now, you're going to have some kids that have some problems. Others are going to have different problems. Uh, But we ought to love them, each one. They've got a definite problem here with their children. It brings resentment and bitterness. And then there's the idea of the end justifies the means. You look over in chapter 26 and verse 7. Chapter 20, verse 6 and verse 7, it says, In the men of the place, uh, ask him of his wife. And he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say, She is my wife. Lest, said he, the men of this place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. Here, they've gone south because of a famine in the land. They've moved. And then when they ask about his wife, he lies about his wife. Says, She's my sister. The end justifies the mean. Well, doesn't that protect her? What about relying on the protection of God? You know, God tells us the truth about what's being done here, about the lie that is given, but he's not commending it at all. The first problem he has is this. Here he's got two boys. What does he teach? It's a famine. Uh, We're leaving the land. And they start to move. God stops them before they go too far. But the truth is, just because things are, it's a hard time or the economy's bad, that's the wrong time and the wrong reason just to move. Find God will and go there. In the center of God's will, God can take care of you. I remind you that uh, Naomi and her husband and sons at a time of famine in the land, that's the book of Ruth, they moved over to Moab. 
They moved over to Moab because they wanted to make money. They wanted things to go well. Well, her husband dies, her two sons die. And she comes back to the land that they left in the famine. And the people that were still there were doing fine. They're eating. They're doing well. What's her testimony? Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. I left full and I come back empty. We don't change where we're at simply because of finances. That's a terrible reason to change. It ought to be because of the will of God is evident in your life. So they tried to change then the word of God in chapter 27, verses 28 and 29. Remember, God had promised uh, the Abrahamic covenant through Isaac. And in the prophecy that was made before the children were born, that Jacob, of course, would have that promise and he would rule over Esau. But then you remember that Jacob wanted to give a special blessing to Esau. And in chapter 27, verses 28 and 29, it says, And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. He's giving that, he thinks, to Esau. He doesn't know he's talking to Jacob. But this is a promise that doesn't go to Esau. Why doesn't it go to Esau? Because he despised his birthright. He's trying to supersede the will of God with his own will because after all, this is his favorite son. This is a blunder. Anytime you try to change the word of God, the blessing that he thought he was giving to Esau was the opposite of what God had even said. And he should have known that. So with Isaac and Rebekah, we've got their beginning, we've got their babies, we've got their blunders. But all that stuff bears fruit one way or another. For the Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Esau's marriage in chapter 26 and verse 34. The scripture says, And Esau was 40 years old when he took wife to wife, Judith, the daughter of Beeri, now underline this, the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, now look at this, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and Rebekah. What was Isaac's problem? Well, he's a frustrated young person. He's the firstborn. He has sold his birthright. And so now he goes out and he doesn't find a wife. He finds two wives. And to make it even, even worse, they're Hittites. They're not of the right family. They're not of the right worship. They put, he put the, uh, the religious relationship with God on the back burner because like Samson later on, he saw two gals that he wanted. And notice the statement. These were a grief of mine unto Isaac and to Rebekah. We need to be teaching our young people who to marry, the qualifications for who you marry. Not just a matter of she pleaseth me well. That's a Samson statement, which is all wrong. Also notice Rebekah's cunning, chapter 27 and verse 5. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau's son, 
And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me and thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as... He loveth, and thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And then he even, she even has him take the coat of a, a sheep or something and put that on his arms, because if Isaac felt the arms, here was Jacob, he was smooth-haired. He, wouldn't, he would not feel like Esau. It's all deception. That's what she's teaching her boy. She's teaching him complete deception. Is it any wonder he's called Jacob? Jacob means trickster, supplanter. He comes by it honestly. He got it from mom and dad. This is becoming a family trait. And it's not a good family trait, especially for somebody who knows God. So we see Rebecca's cunning. She was created to be a helpmeet to her husband, and now she's a schemer for her son against her husband. All right, I'll give her a break. She doesn't have a Bible, but she knew this was wrong. She may not have had a Bible. She knew this was wrong. Tell you, we've had times, we've had a Christian school, of course, for a number of years, and sometimes you just learn some things. We have had some families in the past with their kids in the Christian school where if the kid does wrong, we don't dare call and tell the mom. We have to call and tell dad because she will never, she'll never follow through and never let dad know what the kid did. So we have to call the father and make sure he knows. Of course, then we've had it the other way around too where we call the dad and the dad doesn't follow through and take care of it. After a while, you learn which one's really going to mean business because they want to train up their child right. And this is a shame. And sometimes you call some and they, well, their child would never do that. Their child's not like that. Even though they were seen, the teacher knows it, everybody else knows it, but the parents refuse to know it. As I've said many times, when I first started my first Christian school, the thing that absolutely shocked me the most was how naive Christian parents are about their own children. And yet every one of them knows that they did things when they were young that their parents didn't know, but they don't think their children will ever be like that. Man, wake up. Wake up. So then you end up with a frustrated... Well, you got Jacob's lie, chapter 27, verses 28 and 29. And I already read that where he comes into, East, or into Isaac and he's claiming to be Esau. He's bringing meat that his mom had fixed up in a special way. Back in verse 20, and Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? Now, I like this. This is amazing. Look at this verse now. Verse 20. He's, Isaac is asking Jacob, who is posing as Esau. Now, Jake, Isaac can't see it this time. He can feel, he can smell, he can taste, but he can't see. He doesn't, he can't see the difference. If he could have seen, he would have known that this was Jacob. So he asked 
Jacob, how did you get this so fast? And you notice the end of the verse, and he said, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Well, that was a lie. It was mom. That wasn't God at all. That was mom. Boy, I tell you, when people just start throwing the Lord into their wickedness and blaming God for their wickedness, giving God credit for their wickedness, man, that's when you start to lose any appreciation of the fact that the God of the Bible is a holy God. So then you end up with a frustrated son. After all, they find out. And by the way, when Esau finds out about this whole thing, he is upset and he vows he's going to kill Jacob. And so Rebekah and Isaac get together and they send him off to find a wife. Notice in chapter 28, verses 8 and 9. It says, And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael Abraham's son and sister Nebajoth, to be his wife. He's trying to please mom and dad and he can't do it. Can't do it. It isn't that he hates mom and dad. He's a frustrated son. Mom and dad have been playing favorites and now it appears that even dad has gone over to mom's side. And so he goes out and marries wrong again. And he does it because he's just a frustrated boy. And this never should have been. It didn't have to be that way. There are some people you just can't please as much as you may desire it. You have to be content to just please the Lord. Just please the Lord. Well, we do see Isaac's blessing. I mean, these aren't all bad people, of course. These are things that are recorded in their lives. But in chapter 28, verses 3 and 4, before he sends Jacob off, he says, God Almighty bless thee, speaking to Jacob now, and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. Isaac knew who ought to get the right blessing. So now he finally gives it. Thank God he does that. Gives the right blessing to the right son. And then Jacob's marriage. He went to get a right wife. How about that? He went to get a wife in the right place. Now there's another story involved in Jacob's life there with Leah and of course uh, Rachel. But we'll cover that at another time. The threat of Esau may have had something to do with that though because he was getting out to save his life. But then you find he was blessed of God. Way over in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 20, the Bible says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Isaac is kind of a hodgepodge of good and bad. That's not all the time. Most of the time in his life, it would have been just the daily humdrum of doing the things he needed to do. We see him practicing prayer. As a single man, don't have any doubt he did that as a married man as well. We know that he prayed for his wife when he wanted to have children. Uh, so he was a man who did pray. He knew the Lord. We understand that as well. The bad, definitely not in the sins of like others in the Bible, but nevertheless, there were things that cost him. 
and they still bore some bad fruit. The good? Well, not in great victories. We don't see him going in like his father, rescuing cities from some of the wicked kings. Not in great victories and visions of faith like Abraham, who looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. Not like his daddy. What would God record of your life, though, with your family? Because the truth is, before we find too much fault with Isaac in this, we look at our own lives and where have we messed it up? Where have we made some wrong decisions? And especially with our children, let's make sure that we do our best to make right decisions now. Now, I don't believe that God gave us our daughters for them to be our buddies. He gave us our daughters for us to be their parents. I was not concerned with my daughters about being their buddy. I wanted them to be godly. And I've looked for an excuse to read this poem. I haven't done it in a long time. But when I think of my desire for my daughters, and I only had daughters, didn't have any sons, but I heard a poem many, many years ago now called My Little Boy's Dad, and it's easy to change it to My Little Girl's Dad. I liked what I heard when I heard it first given because really that was my heart for my daughters. It goes like this. I may never be as clever as my neighbor down the street. I may never be as wealthy as some other people I'll meet. I may never have the fame that other men may have, but I've just got to be successful as my little girl's dad. There are certain dreams that I cherish that I'd like to see come true. There are things I'd like to accomplish before my working days are through. But the task my heart is set on is no mere passing fad. I just got to be successful as my little girl's dad. It's the one job I dream of, the task I think of most. For if I fail my little girl's, I've nothing else to boast. For all the wealth and fame I'd gather, my fortune would be sad if I failed to be successful as my little girl's dad. I may never come to glory. I may never gather gold. And men may count me as a failure when my business life is told. But if my little girls can just grow up godly, then I'll be glad because I'll know I've been successful as my little girl's dad. Now, I understand. My daughters, even at the ages they are now, they could go astray tomorrow. I get that. That could happen. I, I thank God, at least this far in our life, that their desires have been to live for God. And my verse for my daughters has always been 3 John and verse 4, where John writes and says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That's it. Everything else is way off the list. As a parent, this is what it's about. Raising up children to know God, to love God. And understanding like Job understood about his own children. Remember, he gave sacrifices for his children brought up in his house. He understood they could go astray. But I do believe that ought to be the desire of every believer that our children grow up godly. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus.
I thank you for what you've given us here in the Word of God as warnings to us. I don't know a parent that couldn't say that there are some things they'd do differently if they did have it to do over again. Lord, I, I just pray for each of our families for wisdom from above to know how to handle each situation that comes up. Always putting the standard of the Word of God first of all. You've used some things here in Rebecca and Isaac's life to warn us. So those mistakes they made that we not make them. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll challenge our hearts and lives because we really only have one shot with our children. We've got to do it right. Our homes have got to be right, Lord. Please help us. Now, Lord, I was preaching to Christian homes tonight. If there's somebody here that's lost, may they understand that whereas what we gave them was truth and it can be a help to them, until they come to the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they are a heartbeat away from hell. May they turn to Jesus and be saved today. The one who died on the cross to pay for their sins was buried and rose three days later from the dead. May they turn to Christ, I beg. Now bless in this invitation, Lord, for I ask it in Jesus' name.